1: It don't get old. I love it every time. Uh, if we've not had an opportunity to meet, my name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And this morning, it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May He add His blessing to it. Well, church family, as you know, uh, we have been traveling through uh, the Gospel of Luke. And last week, uh, what we saw Jesus do is He drew a line in the sand, Jesus drew a dividing line. He, he says, pick a side. Uh, he, Jesus presents to us A or B. He does not present to us a C at all. If you'll look with me at Luke chapter 11, verse 23, this is one of the verses that we covered last week. Hear the words of Christ. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. He says, here is option A, or here is option B. There is no option C. He says, here's option one, or here's option two. There is no option three. You are with him, meaning you are living in him, meaning you obey him, meaning all of your life is for him, or you're not with him. You are against him. Jesus here is killing the notion of neutrality. He says there is no middle ground. There is no neutrality. Just look at, again, what he's saying there in verse 23. Whoever does not gather with me, what does he mean there? Well, he's using this illustration of gathering or scattering. That is, gathering the sheep, those who belong to him, to say it another way, advancing his kingdom work, or you're against his kingdom work. You're scattering, scattering the sheep. It's like, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing either. You, you might say, no, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gathering sheep for Jesus, but I'm also not scattering them. I'm, I'm in the middle. Jesus will have none of that. Jesus does not allow us this middle place. Jesus does not say, you are with me or against me, or you can take a neutral stand. Jesus does not say, uh, you can be about my work of the kingdom, or you can be against my work of the kingdom, or you can be indifferent. my kingdom work? Absolutely not. Hear me, church family. Jesus is meek and mild. Jesus is caring to those who are wounded and broken, but he is also powerful. He is also unstoppable, and Jesus is also demanding. And what is it that Jesus is demanding? Well, Jesus is demanding your whole life Jesus isn't just demanding that you give him a little tithe here and there. Jesus isn't demanding your church, just your church attendance. That's all you got to do. Just show up once in a while. Jesus isn't demanding your devotional time as if you appease him by waking up at six o'clock in the morning and reading a few scriptures. Jesus is demanding all of your life. This is is what Jesus is saying. But the problem is (laughs) when Jesus says it's black or white, Our our sinful hearts call for gray. The problem is we want his blessings without his commands. (laughs) As as we seek to live in the land of neutrality, as we seek to to find this place of indifference, we, we want his blessings without his commands. We want his help on our terms. Oh God, help us the way that we want you to help us is what we often Say to the Lord, we want him to make things better as long as it doesn't mean that we need to actually change. Oh God, improve my situation by changing them. Any, oh, I'm stepping on people's toes today. <laughs> help help, get me out of this situation without my heart having to do any type of changing or work. Oh, Oh, oh God, fix my life, but God, don't change any of my habits. Okay, I'm preaching to two people today. Now, now listen to this. This is a question I want us to ask ourselves this morning. If Jesus himself has eliminated the middle ground, where do you stand with him? Jesus has eliminated the middle ground. This is exactly what he did in verse 23 from our text last week. That's what we've just seen. If he's eliminated the middle ground, where do you stand with him? Or a question that we could ask is this. How can I know where I stand with him? Where do you stand with him and and how can you know? Well, I'll give you the key. The key to knowing where you stand with God. Jesus has eliminated neutrality, so where do you stand, with him or against him? And here's how you know. A proper understanding of who God is and who we are will tell us where we stand with him a proper understanding. When I say proper understanding, I mean a theologically informed understanding. Well, when I say proper understanding, I mean a biblical understanding of who God is and who we are will tell us where we stand with him. And so for those who are not standing with him, they have, the other side of the coin, an uninformed, an untheologically informed understanding of who God is. They believe they can place demands on God. They they believe they can have God's blessings without God's commands. It's it's an improper understanding or a non-biblical understanding or a non-theological understanding of who God is and who they are. But when we have a proper understanding of who he is and who we are, we can know where we stand with him. As a matter of fact, that's the big idea. Here's the whole sermon today. Knowing who I am in light of who he is shows me where I stand with him. I'll say it again. Knowing who I am, a biblically theologically informed understanding of who I am, who am I in the eyes of God, in, in the sight of the Creator of the universe, Knowing who I am, in light of who He is, who does who is God? How has He revealed himself to us? What does the Bible say about who God is? When we know that, it will show us where we stand with Him. Okay, let's look at our outline today. This is why I love Preaching through books, don't you love? Preaching through books of the Bible, church family. Um, I, I've, I've heard several passages of, uh, taught on light, and but never this one. This is a very interesting passage about our eyes shining light and it lighting up our whole bodies. This is a, a very interesting passage where Jesus brings up the, the queen of the south to condemn the evil nation. It's like, who's that? <laughs> He, he awakens this Old Testament story about this guy swallowed by a fish and all the Ninevites, they get, they get taken up, raised up to judge an evil. And it's a very interesting passage this morning, church family. Well, here's how we will navigate through it. First, now I might add that at the end of these, at the end of each one of these, we could also say, and we're not. That's the point. But anyway, here we go. First, Jesus has the authority to make demands. That, that's who he is, not us. Jesus has the authority to make demands. Second, Jesus has the right to condemn, and we don't. Thirdly, Jesus has the power to give light. Anybody in the room have that power this morning? Superhero powers, light, you got, okay, just Jesus. Jesus is. Has the right to condemn. Jesus has the power to give light. And fourthly, Jesus has the lumens. <laughs> the, the, the brightness. That's what that word means. He, he has the lumens to outshine the dark, no matter how dark it is in your soul. He he has he has the power to outshine the darkness. Okay, okay, let's let's get to it. Here we go. First, Jesus has the authority to make demands. Let's look at verse 29, the beginning of it together when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. (laughs) Jesus apparently failed public speaking 101. (laughs) When you gather a large crowd, you're supposed to tell them how nice they are. You're supposed to tell them that they have their lives put together and that everything's gonna be fine and that they're beautiful and people love them. <laughs> you're not, You're not, I, I, I wonder what the disciples made of that. I mean, I'm sure they would be like, y'all, y'all see the crowd today, man. Like they are packing them in here today, boy. I wonder what Jesus' sermon is gonna be. I mean, there's so many people here. This is gonna be amazing. I mean, they're fired up. Jesus goes on stage. You are an evil generation. Oh, gosh, I should not have invited my friend this week. Uh, <laughs> he, he calls them an, an evil generation. What? Why does he call them an evil generation? Well, it says here, you're in an evil generation because it seeks for a sign. You see, we live, church family, we live in an evil generation. We live in an evil generation because we are killing our children for the sake of convenience through abortion. We, we live in an evil generation because we've taken things that God calls holy and have made them unholy, i.e. sex, sexual identity, marriage. Uh, we, we have pushed God away believing that we can make our own path, that we are our own authority. We live in an evil generation. Th- these people were living in an evil generation because they were demanding a sign. If you remember uh, back in verse 16 of this very chapter, that's what they were pushing him for. They were pushing him for a sign. Uh, they also said that he cast out demons by Beelzebul. He addressed uh, th- their accusation of him casting out demons by a demon. And now he's on to addressing the fact that they're demanding a sign from him. They are saying to him, we demand that you prove it to us. He's saying, I'm God, Uh, I'm the Messiah. Uh, He's saying, believe on me for salvation. And they're saying, okay, prove it. We demand that you prove it to us. And so why is that so evil? Why is it so evil to demand such a sign from God? Well, because they believe that they are in a position to place their demands on Jesus. Jesus. That's, that's why it is so evil. They are wicked because they are saying, I will obey you, God, if you perform for us. Huh, help me today. God, I, I will do what you say as long as you prove yourself to me. This is what they are They are saying, Jesus thus far has healed the sick, raised the dead, calmed the storm, fed the 5,000. On top of that, do you remember what's already happened in this chapter? There was a mute man. Jesus cast out the demon, and he began to speak, and they're still demanding more signs. Jesus has already given them everything that they need. You see, those who demand a sign have no excuse for their disbelief. The uh, atheistic philosopher Bertrand Russell, a very famous uh, atheistic philosopher, was once asked to meet. I asked him, Bertrand Russell, what if, what if you're wrong and you meet God face to face? What would you say to him? And Bertrand Russell replied, I would say to God, Not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. What can I tell you on the authority of Scripture? Bertrand Russell did meet God face to face, and that answer did not stand. If God were to answer him, he would have said, did you not see the cosmos, Bertrand Russell? Did did you not see that I have created, that this universe that you exist in was made with a design, and if there's a design, there is a designer. Don't you see Bertrand Russell, the goodness of God that has been poured out in your life time and time and time again. Don't you see the very breath in your lungs is evidence that he exists. His kindness and goodness to you is evidence that not only he exists, but he loves you. But these people here, they are in their arrogance, they're placing demands. And so, church family, we are in no position to place our demands upon Christ because He is God and we are not. And in His grace, though He owed us nothing, He has given us everything in Himself. He is a good God. And so, for sake of clarity, let me just remind us of this. Philippians 4.6 tells us that we are to make our requests known to God. Now, what I'm saying is we, we do not bring our demands to God. The scripture tells us that we bring our requests to God. Some of y'all are parents in the room. You know the difference between the two. If you've had kids for longer than five minutes, you know the difference between a request and a demand. What is the difference? The difference is the heart. The difference is the heart. The difference is, oh God, would you be gracious to me? And grant me this request versus God, you owe me this. That's the difference between a demand and a request. So now Jesus is going to respond to this crowd. If you remember from last week, we know who these people are. We know who he's responding to. That is the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the ones who are demanding the sign. And Jesus essentially responds with, You want a sign? I'll give you a sign but you ain't gonna like it. Look at what Jesus says at the back half of verse 29. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the son of man, Jesus' favorite distinction for himself pulling from Daniel chapter seven. So will the son of man be to this generation. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. It's the sign of Jonah. There you have it. <laughs> I'm sure they were looking at each other just like you guys are looking at me. What is the sign of Jonah? Well, <laughs> well, it's certainly two things. As Jonah marched through the city of Nineveh, Jonah preached repentance. Look, look with me in Jonah 3, chapter 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going on a day's journey, and he called out, listen to this sermon. It's a, this is an interesting sermon, y'all. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was his sermon. That's what he said. While it sounds ominous, what Jonah was doing was preaching an opportunity for those people to repent. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are asking from a sign from heaven to validate that I'm the Christ, that I'm God in the flesh, and the sign that you're going to get is not some big miraculous miracle. What you're going to get is a sermon about how evil you are and that you need to repent. <laughs> now, now, he does also intend to give them a miraculous sign. But it's just not the miraculous sign they were looking for. You see, not only was the sign of Jonah the preaching of repentance, but the sign of Jonah was also the resurrection from the dead. So Jonah had been in the belly of the fish for three days. That had been a picture of being in the grave or that place of death, that place of darkness. Then he came back from the dead and speak and appeared to the people in Nineveh and preach repentance to them. Just as Jesus would go into the ground, into that place of death and darkness, and he would come back from the dead literally and appear to his people and give them message of repentance. That is the sign of Jonah, but that was not the sign that they were demanding. But that is the sign that he was going to give them. So listen to me, church family. Jesus owes us nothing, yet he has given us everything. Therefore, we do not have the right to make demands of him. If you're taking notes, when our hearts allow God to be God, We stand with Him. The the whole idea this morning is is where do you stand? Do you you think that you can stand in this place of neutrality? Well, you can't. And so how do we stand with God? It's allowing God to be God. I would be foolish not to acknowledge the deep pain and sorrow that is in this room. I would be foolish not to not to see and know and acknowledge the the hurt that people feel. And it stirs up in us this desire to make demands of God. God, you can't do this to me. God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, you're supposed to be a good God. Why don't you intervene? Why don't you do something, God? And yet, the call from the scriptures is that we put our hands over our mouths and we say, God, you are God. And no matter what my heart is tempted to believe, oh God, you are good. I will make my request of you, oh God, but I will not demand from you because you are God and I am not. Amen. Amen. Secondly, Jesus has the right to condemn. Jesus has the right to condemn and we do not. Jesus has the right to condemn and we do not. So as a result of their evil heart, uh, he is right to condemn them, and how he does it is calling up these two witnesses. Here's the first witness that he calls to condemn them. Let's look together at verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment and the men of this generation and condemn them. Queen of the south rises up, the the evil men of this generation rise up, and the queen of the south condemns them. He's speaking here of the day of judgment, the final day of judgment, when we stand before the great, the great white throne to where he casts his final judgment on us. And, and he's painting this picture of rising up this witness who will, who will condemn them, cast them away from him forever on that final day of judgment. Now, who is this queen of the south? Well, this is referring to the queen of Sheba. If we had time, we would go back and we read First Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, if you want to put that in your side notes, you can go back and read that for yourself, and what you discover is the queen of Sheba uh, comes, and and she makes this long journey, that that journey from Arabia, or it would be today, modern-day Yemen, is, is where that is, and this lady travels all the way to Jerusalem to see who, well, look at verse 31, again, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment and will condemn the men of this generation For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. I I Google mapped this. I was curious, right? When it says ends of the earth, it means from a long way away. So to Google map Yemen to Jerusalem, it is 2,500 miles, 31 hours in a car. (laughs) They didn't have cars. How long on a camel? Weeks, months? I don't know. But but she makes makes this journey because she hears about the wisdom of Solomon. and, And she goes because she wants to sit under the wisdom of God because clearly this man is hearing from God. So the people in this generation, the generation that he is speaking to, had Jesus right there in their midst. They didn't have to travel anywhere. He's right there. His wisdom is right there. And so he's condemning them because the wisdom is right in front of them. They didn't have to travel all that length of time. The wisdom is right in front of them yet they are rejecting. Can I tell us church family, we do not have to go on a long journey to hear the wisdom of God from the word of God. We, we have it on our phones. Like listen, the Bible app will read to you. You don't have to read it. Just hit the read button. And the thing, you know, you, you carry the word of God with you everywhere you We have it. It's it's right here in front of us. The question is, are we prideful? Or are we humble enough to submit ourselves under God's word? Or will we stand over it, believing that we have a say into it? Listen to what Jesus says next. If this comes from anyone else, it is pure arrogance. But if it comes from the very God-man Jesus Christ, he is clearly stating an affirmed fact. Look at this. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The wisest and richest man, Jesus says, I'm wiser than him, and the treasure that I have is greater than any treasure Solomon ever ever had. Look at verse 32. The second now, the second group of people that he calls to condemn. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. These people would not hear the wisdom of Jesus they rejected his wisdom, and they also did not repent. They didn't humble themselves and, and repent. The people of Nineveh will rise on that last day and condemn those in Israel who did not turn from their sins, since they saw the works of Jesus and had a clearer and greater revelation than those who lived in Nineveh. But that's that's Jesus' whole point. And again, he follows it up with, again, this amazing statement. And behold, something greater then Jonah is here. Do you see the, the pinnacle of human wisdom is represented in Solomon? And then the pinnacle of the prophetic word of God is represented there in Jonah. And Jesus is saying he is greater than both of those things. Oh, that, oh, that this morning we would, we would have a fresh vision of who God is. Don't you this is what I want us to see this morning. I want us to see who God is. He's revealing it to us in his word. Jesus is communicating that to us this morning, who he is. I want us to, I want us to have a fresh vision of God this morning so that we might see who we are, and so that we might stand, stand with him. So the men of Nineveh, the Queen of the South, will condemn. The men of Nineveh will condemn. Just as a side note, this is not in my notes, I'm I'm off script here, but did you notice that the the people that he named there, the the queen of Sheba and the men of Nineveh, are not Israelites? (laughs) Did did you notice that these are people from outside of God's uh, chosen people? That these, these are looked down upon by the religious people? Um, that, that, you know, the, oh, we are God's chosen people, the people of Israel would have said. We, we are in right standing with God because of, because of our lineage. And Jesus says, no, these non-Israelites will rise up and judge you. Because God's plan all along has been to open up his love, not to a single demographic of people, but to open it up to all of God's people. That that when Jesus comes at the cross, he flings open the doors and says, this is not just a mono-ethnic religion, but this is a multi-ethnic, multicultural religion. And we are all united, not by our skin color, but we are united under the banner of Jesus Christ. What great news that he gives to us today. Jesus has the right to condemn. He condemns these people for being an evil generation, for not seeing his wisdom, for not repenting before him. And church family, he is the one who has the right to condemn. That's who he is, and we are the ones that then deserve condemnation. We are not unlike the people that he is addressing. As a matter of fact, aren't we the religious ones? You guys are the ones that got up this morning and put on your Sunday best and brush your teeth and comb your hair and come to church. Aren't we the religious ones? Doesn't Jesus then have the right to call this same type of condemnation upon us because we believe that by the things that we do, we have right standing with God? The reality is we are far from God. He would be just to condemn us and send us away into outer darkness. But... Oh my God, help me. But, do y'all want me to read Romans? I'm about to read Romans 8-1 to y'all right now. We deserve condemnation, but Romans 8-1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's not no condemnation at some future point. When you get it together, when you become a better Christian, when you put your life together, then there'll be no condemnation. No, Paul says there is now, right here, right now, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why it's so important that we figure out where we stand, that there is no neutrality. Either you have received the condemnation of God or you have received the grace of God. And He's poured out His grace through. Je- I got to read the rest of Romans. I'm, I'm preaching too much. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set in you set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weak in the flesh, could not do. How did He do it? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for our sins. He condemned sin in the flesh. Either you will be condemned because of your sin or your sin will be condemned in the flesh of Jesus on the cross. That is it. That is the A or the B. That is the option one or option two. There is no neutrality. There is no middle ground. And so the call today is for us to stand with him. If you're taking notes, when God gives grace and we receive it, we stand with him. When God gives grace, and he has in his son Jesus, when God gives grace and we receive it, we stand with him. I wonder if you're aware of your need for grace this morning. Okay, thirdly, Jesus has the power to give light. <laughs> Jesus has the power to give light. He moves on, and, and, and as he's speaking with them, he's now going to give them this picture, this metaphor of light and darkness and eye and, and the light filling your body. Look at what he says. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Look at verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. I read that a hundred times this week. What does that mean? Is it What's Jesus communicating to us here? Your eye is the lamp of your, of your body. Well, I got, I got this picture, and the picture I got in my mind was wrong. <laughs> the picture that I got, your eye is a lamp. I got this picture of a dude who has headlight for eyes, right? Headlights, boom, there they are, shining out. I was like, that's, that's what that means. But that's, that's not what it means. If you, if you continue reading on, it says, when your eye is healthy, your whole, your body, is full of light. So he's not talking about the light that's shining out. He's talking about the light that is inside of you. So he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. The eye then stands for that which a person is. The eye then stands for what is at the very core of that person. To use another biblical term, we could say that the eye here is interchangeable with the word heart. Again, we would use the word heart as the seat of our Bible uses the term. We would say things like, you know, my my head's there, but my heart's not. That's not the way the Bible uses the term heart. The way the Bible uses the term heart is that it is the very seat, the very center, the very core of who we are that is our heart. So here, eye, heart, it, 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 those two words are interchangeable. So your your eye or your heart is the lamp of your body. Read the rest of the verse. When your eye is healthy or when you have a healthy heart, your whole body is filled with, with light but if it is bad or or unhealthy your body is full of darkness so if a person has a healthy eye or substitute healthy heart they are full of light so the healthy eye equals a pure heart or the unhealthy eye equals A prideful heart or a sinful heart that does not recognize God for who he is and cannot see ourselves for who we are. And what is this light, this light then that fills our whole body? Well, it is the revelation of who he is in light of who we are. Or to say it another way, write this down. When Jesus' light fills our life, our heart, our eye, you see that? When Jesus' light fills our life, there is no space left darkened. the the light comes shining in, the light floods in when our heart is right with him, when we have a pure heart, when when our eye is healthy, his light comes flooding in and shines in us, exposing the dark corners which we so desperately try to keep hidden. That's what Jesus is saying. Isn't Jesus a good teacher? So who is God? Well, he is the giver of light. He illuminates eyes and hearts. And who are we? Well, we are the ones with darkened eyes and darkened hearts that need his light. The problem is these people, the people he's speaking to, these religious, they, they don't think that their hearts are darkened. <laughs> they have the Torah. They have the law. They, they have the temple and the sacrifices. Of course, their hearts are not darkened. We, we might say, oh, we, we have the church. We, we have the King James Bible. We have, we're Americans after all. Our hearts are not darkened. That's, that's what we would say. If you're taking notes, when we receive light from the true source of light, we stand with him. We stand. With, are you standing with him this morning? Are you still under the illusion that you stand on neutral ground? Have you received his light? Fourthly, Jesus has the lumens to outshine the darkness. Jesus' brightness is so bright it can outshine any darkness. Uh, again, I made allusion earlier to the to the parents in the room. I wonder if you if you have a little one um, who has a sleep toy, which they cannot, will not, must not ever go to sleep without. Anyone? So uh, what happens uh, oftentimes pastor confession time. There we are, we're getting ready for bed. They're in the bed. Like, yes, finally, close the door, they're in the bed. It's time for mom and dad to sit on the couch, relax, finally. Daddy, what is it? Can't find my sleep toy. Just can't go to sleep without the sleep toy. And, and like, so it kind of became a pattern. It became a rhythm. And so like a good father, here's what I, I said. I said, that's it. You know, because we're spending hours looking for this sleep toy when they're supposed to be in the bed. So I said, put my foot down you know what, this sleep toy, once we found it, this sleep toy is your responsibility. I am not looking for this sleep toy ever again. That's it, it's your responsibility. So the next night I was looking for the sleep toy and uh, we're outside and we're outside because the thing got left outside. My girl has uh, this little princess uh, flashlight that came like in a little Barbie camping pack with batteries from six years ago. And she's looking through the through the grass, you know, for the sleep toy, it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm out there in my pajamas, boots on, you know, looking ridiculous. And I'm like, this flashlight ain't cutting it. So I'll go get my flashlight. <laughs> I got one of them one, like, as seen on TV. 50 billion lumens. I got one of those jokers, right? So so she's looking, can't, can't find a cam- I do like this bink, turn the joker on, boom, the whole backyard. It's like noon. It's like the noonday sun in my backyard. Airplanes start landing because of the light. They think it's, and there it was. We, we, found, we found the sleep. Because, because, the, the, because of the brightness, there was no place the sleepy toy could hide because of the lumens of the flashlight, the brightness of that light. And that's exactly what Jesus is communicating to us about his light, because listen to, he doesn't want us to be confused about the light that is within us. Look at what he says in verse 35. Therefore, be careful. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. His light is undeniable, yet so many of us are are confused by it. Many people believe that there is light in their heart, meaning they believe they have a right relationship with God because they are a good person. After all, they never killed anybody. You ever hear somebody say this? Me and God, we have an understanding. Oh, that, that, that's not good. That, you, n- n- no, you don't. <laughs> you don't have an understanding. With God. God has an understanding with you. You, you can't place your demands on him and so here he is cautioning us he he is warning us you see you don't have the lumens in it of yourself you don't have the brightness that is needed we are the ones fumbling around with with the little princess flashlight with batteries from 6 years ago and he is the one with the 50,000 lumen light we don't have in it of ourselves the light enough to push away and to push out darkness and so when those who are in darkness Think that they are in the light. They are self-deceived. Do not deceive yourself on where you stand with God. Are you here this morning and your heart is saying, I am a sinner who has received grace. I am a beggar and I have been given bread. Is that what your heart says this morning? Or does your heart say, I'm a pretty all right person and God likes me because of that? Where do you stand? Look at this last verse together. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright as a lamp with its rays gives light. And so no matter how dark our lives are, no matter what has happened in the past, Jesus' light can outshine the darkness. Do you see his emphasis here? He, so he says, it's your whole body. Your whole body is full of light, having no part dark. It will wholly be br- all of it, every bit of it. The, the, the thing that you did in college, that will be made light. The, the failed marriage, the sites that you know you shouldn't have visited on your laptop, the, those things, no matter how dark, his light is bright enough to shine even in those places. If you're taking notes, when God has shined his light into all the dark corners of our lives, we stand with him when his light is shined into all the dark corners, all of the embarrassing things that we keep hidden from the world, all the things that only we know that, that we have tucked and hidden away when his light has shined even there. That's how we know we stand with him. Who is God? Well, he is the one whose light is bright enough to outshine all the darkness in your soul. And who are we? Well, we are the ones with the darkened soul that need the light of Christ. That's who we are. And so how do we apply this text to us today? Well, here it is. Consider where you stand with God. Consider where you stand with God. This morning, this text is calling us, listen to me, to do serious work with the Lord. This text is calling us to get gut honest with where you are, with the creator of the universe. Do you stand with him or do you stand against him or do you pretend that there's some type of middle ground? There is no middle ground. He has taken that choice away from us. We must consider where we stand with him. Listen to me, church family. Do you want his blessings without his commands? If so, you do not stand with Him. Do you want His help only on your terms? If so, you do not stand with Him. Do you want Him to make things better, but you don't want to actually change? Then you do not stand with Him. But if you want Him above all else, you stand with Him. You stand with Him. So I said at the beginning, I'll say it at the end, knowing who I am, in light of who He is, shows me where I stand with Him. Oh, for a fresh vision of who God is and who we are. Let's pray together. Oh God, we turn our eyes to you. We turn our hearts to you and we ask you that you would fill it with light. Would you give us a biblical and theological and proper understanding of who you are and who we are in light of you? Would you help us to turn to you in grace? Would you help us to hear the warning of condemnation but then rejoice Because now there is no condemnation if we are found in you. May we be found in you this morning. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.